looking forward to seeing all Canadians evacuated and you can be sure and rest assured that this is our number one priority. So the federal government confirming today that uh, the first group of Canadians who were in Gaza have now made their way into Egypt. That was the foreign affairs minister uh, in a post on her social media accounts earlier today. Now, one wrinkle to all of that, uh, it should be noted, was the concern not just from Israel, but from Egypt that Hamas was using the opportunity to try to sneak its fighters or its top officials out of Gaza. So there was some back and forth over uh, whether injured or wounded Palestinians would be allowed to cross into Egypt for medical treatment. Concern from Egypt and Israel that Hamas was using that opportunity uh, to try to sneak its fighters out, which I think tells us a lot about the kinds of tactics that Hamas was deploying. So, um, Hamas decided, look, if our, our people aren't going to get out, nobody is. And so that resulted uh, in a few days of inaction as nobody was crossing that border. Again, thanks to Hamas. And I think as we assess this whole conflict, it's really important to keep in mind how and why this is happening. The actions of Hamas a month ago today, and the actions of Hamas that continue to put civilians in danger. Uh, so the conflict is obviously intensified. Israel's prime minister uh, spoke a little while ago here today, which would be an uh, evening in Israel, uh, talked about his, his own responsibility, which was uh, interesting to note, uh, for the fact that uh, you know, Israel was caught off guard on October 7th, and a lot of Israelis see that as, as a failure, but the need to see this through. Uh, so it appears as though Israeli forces have now surrounded Gaza City. They basically cut off the north part of Gaza. Uh, as they uh, attempt to dismantle uh, Hamas, uh, the organization uh, and its infrastructure. Now, there's a lot of concern, obviously, about the impact this conflict is having. And, and war is ugly. And there's no getting around that. There are rules and laws that apply to war. And there have been a lot of accusations flying back and forth uh, over international law, violations of international law. And are we seeing war crimes here? I mean, I think it's fair to say the atrocities of October 7th rise to and exceed that bar. What about the conflict we're seeing? And is Israel following international war? Certainly Israel's critics uh, have suggested uh, that they have not been. There's an interesting piece uh, in the National Post today, though, taking a closer look at all of that. Uh, joining us to talk more about it is uh, Richard Marceau, Vice President, General Counsel with the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs, former member of Parliament. Uh, you can read his pieces mentioned nationalpost.com. Richard, good to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Rob, for having me. Uh, so first of all, where do we start when we start to assess the question of whether international law is being adhered to? How do we go about answering that question? Well, the first thing we have to do is to uh, make sure that we know what we're talking about. As you, as you mentioned, there is a lot of, uh, of noise. There are a lot of self-appointed um, experts on international law that, that uses big words without really knowing uh, what they're talking about. We also have experts that are that have uh, very specific points of view that 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 would use international law uh, in a selective manner uh, to advance a point of view instead of looking at what international law says. So, I, so the the answer to your question is making sure that when we talk about international law, we talk about international law and not some kind of, of politicized um, agenda to, 
to say what interna- what international law is when it, it's not that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I mean, there, there are obligations that Israel has to adhere to. And so, I mean, that, that falls into the context of what we're talking about here, an obligation to try to minimize the impact on civilians. But look, no doubt there have been civilian, civilian casualties in, in this conflict, but just the, the mere fact that there have been civilian casualties, is, is, does that tell us anything about whether international law is being followed? Correct. So international law knows that in any conflict, unfortunately, uh, innocent civilians will die. Um, what international law requires is not that no civilians die. It, has, it is that no civilians be targeted. Uh, and that's an important distinction. Um, so now the question becomes, is, um, is the, uh, the response, for example, proportionate? And that was the, the piece that I published in the National Post earlier today that you mentioned in your introduction. Um, and is Israel, making, uh, is, take, is Israel taking all precautions possible to make sure that as, uh, as few innocent Gazans die uh, in, in the conflict? And, and our answer is, is yes. Uh, the, the, the things that Israel has been doing, asking civilians to leave combat areas, uh, sending leaflets, uh, doing, making thousands and thousands of phone calls, asking Gazans to, to leave where uh, where Israel will attack, I think are good examples of what Israel has been doing. And you saw earlier this morning that when Israel opened a, a corridor, humanitarian corridor, and protected civilians from Hamas, which was trying to stop uh, Gazan citizens to leave uh, the combat areas, thousands of, of, uh, of, of Gazans did it uh, mm-hmm. in a way that was, um, that was protected, that was safe, and that showed the difference between the state of Israel and the uh, and the terrorist group that is Hamas. Yeah, and uh, uh, some some aid is getting in as well, so that that was encouraging to see. Now, in terms of whether you know this this war itself is is in accordance with international law, what about Israel's right to defend itself, a right to respond to an attack like we saw a month ago? Well, uh, the the right to self defense is both customary international law. And uh, it is also uh, set out in Section Article 51 of the United Nations Charter. Uh, so it's not only a, a right that every state has to defend its citizens, but I would argue that it is also a duty for all the uh, all the city, all the states in the world. So when you see 1,400 uh, people, uh, civilians, uh, you see babies that were killed, families that were burnt alive, women uh, raped gang rate, um, people taking hostages, Th- those, this is a casus belli, this is a reason, uh, that's reason enough uh, to trigger the right to, uh, of any state to self-defense, and that is what Israel is doing, at the same time making sure that it is doing its best to protect uh, Gazan citizens, and, and make no mistake, what we're seeing is, uh, when you have 500 kilometers of tunnel built under uh, civilian infrastructures, where the command and control center of Hamas is under hospitals, um, that makes uh, Israel's job very, very difficult. And yet, despite this, despite the fact that Israel has the most powerful army in the region, it could easily flat out 
uh, flatten Gaza. It is trying not to do it. It's pinpointing its attacks and it's putting boots on the ground, whereas it could have it could deal with it from the from the air, and it's trying to um, limit the number of, of innocents uh, being killed in the fighting. So we look at the other side then. I mean, we look at what happened on October 7th. We look at how Hamas has operated uh, in Gaza in, you know, building its infrastructure within civilian areas, underneath civilian areas, even in this conflict, as you mentioned, you know, refusing to allow citizens to leave, uh, you know, basically hiding behind civilians. What does international law tell us uh, about all of this? Well, international law uh, completely forbids what what uh, Hamas is doing. Uh, and that's the issue because Hamas does not care whatsoever about international law. If it did it on, on October 7th, it would not have attacked the way it did. It would not have killed babies, burned people alive, uh, shoot civilians the way it did. So we're in a situation where it's a, a symmetric warfare. You have a state, a democratic state that's trying to adhere and is adhering actually to international humanitarian international law. And you have a, a, an enemy, Hamas in this case, that does not care about anything. So everybody who's calling, for example, for immediate ceasefire now uh, does not is, is thinking in Western terms, thinking, oh, well, if there's a ceasefire, Hamas will respect it and Israel will respect it. And we know and many people have said and even fierce critics of Israel have said that were there be a ceasefire, it would give the opportunity for Hamas to regroup and to to plan the next attack. Uh, so a, a ceasefire now is to leave the culprits in power in Gaza, which guarantees that there will be a, a, certainly another attempt for another uh, October 7th. Well, as I mentioned, your piece is up at nationalpost.com. Much more at cija.ca. Richard, thanks so much for joining us here this afternoon. Appreciate the input. Thank you, Rob. All the best. Uh, Richard Marceau, Vice President, General Counsel with the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs, former member of Parliament. Uh, So his piece today, looking at some of these questions around international law, what it tells us about the right to self-defense, what it tells us about proportionality, what it tells us about the obligation to try to protect civilians, and also what it tells us about what Hamas did on October 7th and what it's been doing since then.